What happened, uh, the, the 30 thoughts about keeping Sabbath grew out of the following. Uh, in my work with this Sabbath, uh, I've worked with a number, mostly two-thirds of the time, pastors. That's been about roughly two-thirds of our work is with pastors. And uh, a good deal of work at uh, some seminaries. And at Asbury Seminary, which is physically the closest to me. I think it's about 15, 20 miles away. I live in Lexington, and it's in Wilmore. Uh, <coughs> uh, this subject was taken up, and uh, everyone on campus read 24-6, and uh, students and faculty, and uh, so there were about a 1,000 copies, I think, they read. And uh, then they did a series of uh, chapels. They did five, I think, chapels, and they went at that from the expertise of uh, the faculty. So there were um, some faculty members that were very academically oriented, and there were faculty members that were uh, praxis oriented, that type of thing. And <coughs> they asked me to come, and I had already given a chapel on the Sabbath there, which is what got the whole thing started in the first place, and I hope something like that happens here. And what I wanted to do was take it to the next level. Because there are more and more students who are beginning to study this, and I think that's a worthwhile uh, thing. And uh, because it's new, I wanted to just give some reflections on some uh, areas that I have been thinking about this. I've, I've practiced Sabbath for 12 years, but I've studied it for three, four uh, years, really. And um, <coughs> the, the, the first is, my, I'm going to ask a question here. I've asked this again and again and again, and I have yet to get an answer from anybody in academia. And that is yesterday, who, who was in the uh, chapel yesterday? Al almost all of you. Uh, I said uh, that the numbering system for the commandments I would use the Jewish numbering systems, and it is mostly the Protestant uh, numbering system, but that the Catholics number the Sabbath commandment as three, as do Lutherans. And this doesn't come from Luther, this comes from Augustine. And uh, there are various explanations floating around as to why Augustine changed the numbering system. It is clear that Augustine knew he was changing the numbering system. Uh, but I have yet to get, even from Augustine scholars, the place to go and read about this. Does anybody here know about this? It's, it's just one of those mysteries. And as you know, Augustine isn't somebody you can just pick up and read all of Augustine's. <laughs> yeah. it's, um, it, it's, a little, it's like reading all of Calvin's works or Wesley's or something. It's a little difficult. So, so uh, an unanswered question yet again. Um, <coughs> uh, the other thing I wanted to bring up is, is how the uh, Sabbath commandment relates to the other commandments. If you were there in chapel yesterday, you saw me very much in a practical way trying to relate the Sabbath commandment to all the other commandments. Uh, this is being done in a little bit more academic sense uh, is it Candler I'm going to in a couple of weeks that's having a conference which is part of an ongoing uh, uh, series of lectures uh, that floats from school to school uh, which is relating the Sabbath to the other commandments. And um, in talking to pastors, I will just tell you that there's a good bit of confusion about what's the law and what's not about uh, what is a, a moral law, do the Ten Commandments supersede laws, commandments, uh, that type of thing. I don't, I, I can't find clear answers to this. It's like Augustine and the numbering. It's, it's hard for me to get a hold of the original data. So my next question is, who, who has, if a student comes up and says, explain the difference between a a law that we are freed from versus a law that is a moral law, which you cannot be freed from, where do I go to read about this? I ask you the question. Yeah, there's a lot of 
Yeah, where would you send people first? Because I, I say that, that for whatever reason, pastors are coming out and this isn't clear. Where, where would you send them? Now remember, I've got to answer a pastor. He, he doesn't have time for, uh, to spend months and months on this. I know one, one, one quick place would be uh, David Jones's um, Biblical Ethics. He's one of our professors. I'm hoping he'll come down and meet you in a few minutes, but he's done a real nice job with this in a, just a couple chapters. Biblical Ethics, okay. Uh, Michael Williams has a book called Far as the Curse is Found, and he has an entire chapter on law where he has this great uh, notion that, and it's really from Calvin, I think, but it's the biblical law um, transcribes God's character into the world. Mm-hmm. And so the moral, civil, and ceremonial divide, it, it actually falls away. And so the idea of a moral law somehow superseding or something, uh, a civil or ceremonial law, uh, that, that that's recalibrated in a way where we hear the relevance of the civil and ceremonial laws. And ag- again, you know, as you know, the Sabbath law is a threshold law. It's, yeah. it's, it's all of it. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's a, a helpful uh, work. And then um, Christopher Wright has done a lot of uh, good work on this, Old Testament ethics for the people of God. So it's uh, it, Wright with a W? Yes. Yeah. Um, so just to let you know, as somebody who's out there speaking to pastors, we have just in North Carolina 2,000 pastors that we, uh, through a grant through the Duke Endowment, that's not Duke um, University or anything, it's the endowment left by the Duke uh, family, we have uh, the resources to work with that 2,000 pastors and have had pretty intense contact with a lot of those. We have a full-time uh, pastor who works with that group and there is a lot of confusion uh, on this. So I appreciate that. What I'll do is then have uh, Bill try to collate some of that and uh, you know, in a digest form perhaps even get it out to people where if they want to read more, they can go to the original uh, sources. So I appreciate that. Um, the, uh, the, the, the next thing I would tell you about, if any of you are involved in research about uh, pastor health and pastor flourishing. Uh, Through that Duke Endowment uh, grant, we got um, access to the uh, Duke Clergy Health Initiative data and we work side by side with that group. And our test group is 2,000 pastors. They're United Methodist pastors. Uh, And uh, so this is specific to that denomination. But in a survey, we found that 9% of the pastors were keeping, before intervention, were keeping a Sabbath on a regular basis. We were the intervention. Blessed Earth came in and intervened um, through teaching and a series of retreats. We took them to the beach, (laughs) Uh, literally, for a few days, uh, that sort of thing. Groups of about, I think the most was about 120 at a time. and after 18 months, our follow-up is 30, 37% are now keeping it. And uh, the question, our, our question was, is their mental health improved? They have a, about a 9% uh, rate of background of depression. That's normal for society. That's not out of, out of the range of normal. It's maybe a little lower. Uh, than society as a whole, and and that's actually improved. Are you surprised that when people make time for the Lord, they get mentally healthier? Is that shocking news? And yet we live in a society where you have to do these studies. Uh, and one of my hopes would be that in the next few years, uh, that that we could do that in uh, some of the more evangelical traditions. Uh, to that end, Blessed Earth uh, started work in the Northwest very recently uh, through a grant through the Murdoch Charitable Trust and a pastor scholar, A.J. Swobodas, who some of you know here, uh, is, uh, was hired by us and is heading that. And we just found out that with his denomination, which is Foursquare, 
Um, he has been blessed by the Grand Poobah or whoever <laughs> heads Foursquare um, uh, to do that work. And at their get-together of 10,000 pastors, that will be a keynote um, uh, address to them. Um, and, and so just to throw it out there, that as, that's my hope that with um, uh, being very close to uh, the, the Baptist tradition myself, that we could do some of that um, research, which I think you have to intervene and measure. And uh, being a doctor, I frankly would, would love to have a control group where we did not intervene, but we studied. Um, because we live in this kind of society that you, you, you've got to prove this, and it's okay, because to me this is provable, so it's no problem. Um, <coughs> the, um, the, the next area, um, I would uh, love to see more work on uh, and more teaching on is around Christ and the Sabbath, because for me, everything centers on Christ. All of the Old Testament is bringing us to Christ. And so, again, this is an area I will tell you that amongst pastors, there is some confusion about Christ's role in the Sabbath. Uh, to me, if Christ is not necessarily saying something, but he's doing it, he's teaching on it. And by inference, he does a majority of his teaching on the Sabbath. If you, if you highlighted your, your Gospels based upon which days, and it tells us which days Christ is teaching on the Sabbath, this is teaching day. <laughs> uh, it's also th the healing day for him. Uh, I tell pastors of, uh, of the seven miracles, uh, which is the majority of his miracles that are, that are uh, done on the Sabbath, the, the first miracle that, that Christ does is, of course, the most important to pastors. Does anybody know what his first miracle on the Sabbath is? He throws an evil spirit out of church. <laughs> this should be of absolute importance <laughs> to uh, a pastor how to do that. And just as an <coughs> um, unclean spirit, whatever you, you call it, uh, to me, the second miracle that Christ does on Sabbath is his biggest miracle. I just want to give you a little insight. This is not real serious stuff, but um, to me it's his biggest miracle. And his second miracle that he does on Sabbath is that he goes to Peter's home and Peter's mother-in-law is uh, sick with a fever. Luke says it's a high fever and he cures that. Big deal. Dose of Tylenol could do that. That's not the miracle. I had a Jewish mother-in-law <laughs> for 33 years. If you can get her to get up and serve dinner, because you brought the guy who made you quit your job, that's a major miracle. I think it has to be taken into context, and I understand the, uh, uh, the context of it. Um, <coughs> the... Uh, Another area which I have questions on and I would love to see some study on is the concept in the Western civilization of Sabbath and war. Uh, Abraham Lincoln, at the uh, onset really of the, the Civil War, um, uh, November 15, 1862, uh, issued his Sabbath proclamation. It's easy to find a facsimile of it online. The media that he published it in was Harper's Magazine. It's the official um, White House declaration. And in that, um, by the way, Lincoln, is there anybody here that was a Lincoln religion studier? Or I'm in the wrong side of the Mason-Dixon line yeah. for that, aren't I? <coughs> Lincoln was, as you probably know, not much of a churchgoer uh, during his life, uh, but was strictly schooled in the Ten Commandments uh, by his mother, who died when he was age 10. And so far as I can tell, or anybody else can, Lincoln adhered to the Ten Commandments uh, throughout his life. And so this concept of observing the Sabbath was near and dear uh, to Lincoln. Lincoln had his uh, come to Jesus moment at Gettysburg. 
that's when he wrote, I gave my heart to Christ. That's when you see, in God we trust, go on the money. That's when Lincoln starts attending church on a regular basis, but not until that point. But he did keep the, uh, the Sabbath. And uh, he, um, my, my understanding of his reasoning uh, was that if we lost the Sabbath, it didn't matter who won the war, we would all be slaves in the long run. I believe that's where we may be going. Um, and uh, he, he, uh, he had a precedent for this, and that was George Washington. Uh, in the Revolutionary War, no revolutionary troops worked, fought on, this, on Sunday unless they were under attack. So this was a long tradition uh, coming up on Lincoln. And if you, any of you are Civil War buffs, You'll notice a curious thing once you start paying attention. All the big battles end on Saturday. And this is my question for a Southern historian about war. Uh, was it ever articulated from the side of the Confederate armies this, uh, this tacit agreement not to engage in combat on Sunday? Does anybody here know that? Areas of inquiry for, aca <laughs> for academia. Um, th throughout the world, you know, we've seen this and people try to take advantage of it. The uh, Yom Kippur War uh, in Israel. Pearl Harbor was planned to attack us uh, when we were at worship and rest on Sunday. And so it's, it's played in uh, to our, our attacks as well on other countries. And I think it's an ethics area that works in with just wars and how do you, um, this is the old no tanks on Sunday from the First World War um, uh, kind of ethics area. It's just to throw it out there that I think it might be an area of interest um, in the uh, future. Um, <coughs> another area is really a sociology area and, and it's an area I'm intensely interested in which is the family. I uh, believe that there is a probably a direct correlation between Sabbath keeping and maintaining a, a nuclear family. Uh, the, the Church of Latter-day Saints believes this. And is, th is it for one year or is it three years? Do you know how long they're going to be emphasizing this? I know it's this year. This year. So the great thing about the LDS is it's a very centralized uh, it with all, I, I know I'm in the wrong place to say that's a great thing, but there is something to be, you know, central command says, you know, that whatever they call the chief uh, elder and then the council of 13 and then the 70 and it goes to the stake presidents from there. But this is, they've determined that this is uh, crucial uh, for their maintaining families. And so they're really going to be emphasizing this. And they'll do it on Sundays, but I think they'll probably family home evenings, which is a mon Monday night. Um, the LDS church is not a bad church to watch about uh, how they do certain things. We can learn uh, from them. I'm not suggesting, uh, you know, anything about their theology, um, but that we might, might learn something there. Um, and just this is anecdotal, but when we work with groups of people and we ask them to talk about Sundays, when they were growing up, that the number one thing they remember is uh, family together time. And uh, for many, many, many of them, they remember that their father was home then. And particularly in farming uh, settings, uh, dad stopped working on that day. I believe that the modern lifestyle is very detrimental to family life. Um, but from seminaries and from research from us, I don't think we have a whole lot of data about this. And I think we need it. We have anecdotal data, uh, but I, I throw that out there as an area of inquiry uh, for future students. I probably am out of my 15 minutes of talking at you, and we'll, we'll go to the talking at me. Uh, I, if I don't get some great questions out of this group, <laughs> I'm going to blast it all over the internet. Um. <laughs> Ask your questions. <laughs> <Yeah>. <clears throat>
Well, uh, thank you very much uh, for coming to speak with us, and, and we really do want to talk through some of these issues that you've raised. Uh, if I can go ahead and, and uh, open the first question, mm -hmm. and I just think uh, I'm so interested to know what got you on to this topic. Is it, was it your medical profession? What was it Sabbath. on Sabbath? Yeah. I would like to tell you that it was some brilliance on my own part. But in retrospect, I will have to tell you it was the Lord. And uh, what happened was that I had taken over at a small hospital and uh, as a director of the emergency department. And because at uh, other places I'd worked, directors would always schedule themselves for all the best days off and all the best days to work, I decided that um, to kind of build uh, camaraderie amongst the the team that I would turn over the scheduling uh, to somebody else and uh, so I turned it over and uh, this person promptly scheduled me to work every single Sunday <laughs> because uh, they wanted to go to church and that <coughs> that that was fine I, I suppose um, but it started it, but I realized gee I should take every Saturday and not work we work 24-hour shifts in the CR um, I don't know if you've been up for 24 hours when your kid was sick or something, but imagine doing it over and over and over and over again. And uh, I was getting a little older. You know, when you're in your 20s and 30s, you can go forever. Um, and I started taking Saturday as a day I would not shop and would not work. And what happened was I started studying and I started reading and feeling in areas of my life that I felt uh, I'd missed in my education. I went through undergraduate school really fast. I did undergraduate school in two and a half years. And so I wanted to fill in uh, some of those areas. But then I began to realize this, this was a Sabbath I was taking. Uh, and I'm not assigning it a day. I'm just saying it was a day in which I didn't work. I was not a believer at this time. Um, but during that time, I read a Bible for the first time. And to me, in retrospect, it was the Lord teaching me and giving me a place for this. Uh, if you did a survey of people on what day did you get saved, you would see more on a Sunday than other days. Uh, it is a day to do the Lord's business. And uh, I believe the Lord was doing, doing work with me on that day. So I would like to tell you it was planned, um, but once I had it, I realized, aha. Now, the Sabbath commandment more than any other is explicitly extended to non-believers uh, and uh, I believe that's God's plan other questions I've got two quick ones Matthew mm -hmm. one, one is just kind of a setup for this audience <clears throat> and that's connecting the two books that you currently have out the first one serve God save the planet is primarily environmental ethics creation care related and then you move into the Sabbath at 24-6 for a lot of people, it's not intuitive, the connection between Sabbath keeping and creation care. So I wonder if you could speak to that first, and then I've got a, a, a different category of question I can ask you. Great question, and thanks for the softball lob there. <laughs> I appreciate it. Uh, the connection is uh, that the ethics that we derive, uh, particularly from the Old Testament, about showing restraint in our environmental ethics uh, uh, come from sabbatical laws. They fall out under the sabbatical uh, law heading. And uh, I think the importance of that is um, that through restraint, there's actually more flourishing. And we can maybe sometimes get that easier at the level of the land than at the land of our hearts. Uh, and so I realized <coughs> in the environmental world that uh, whether or not you believe in global warming, whether or not you change your light bulbs to LEDs or, or whatever, um, that, I mean, that, that has an effect, but it has no spiritual growth effect, if you will. And that the one thing that the church had to offer that nobody else had to offer was the Sabbath. Uh, the, uh, that concept of restraint, which God shows, and rest. 
it's, it, to me, it's just it's very interesting. You you know, the book of Genesis is, uh, who's the Old Testament scholars in the room? I mean, like, how, how long can you study Genesis forever? It's, it's just, there's layer and layer and layer and layer. And so if something's not in Genesis, it's a big deal. And the only time that the word holy, kadosh, is used is in connection with the Sabbath. Um, and uh, it, even when you go to Exodus, that's what it's used in conjunction with. Um, and so to me, <coughs> uh, the care of the land is all derived by that, that greater ethic, which is care of the universe, really, which God does in Sabbath. My understanding of Sabbath has come to be that it's like, literally like gravity. It is written into creation and cannot be subtracted. Now, if you ignore gravity, what happens to you? Bad things. If you ignore the Sabbath, what happens to you? Bad things. So I think, I think that's the connection uh, for me. Okay, so that dovetails a little bit with the second question. So I, I'm thinking back to 30 years ago when I was in seminary, Denver Seminary, studying with Craig Blomberg in, in uh, New Testament. And <clears throat> he made the argument based on the book of Hebrews that Christ fulfilled completely the fourth commandment. And therefore, the Christian is not uh, required to keep the commandment. So I'm wondering if you'd interact a little bit with that thought. I'm sure you bump into it everywhere. I do. Um, uh, of course, Paul addresses this, we think, uh, when he says some honor uh, one day uh, more than another. He goes on to say, but each should have his conviction. Uh, for the most part, Christians have no conviction one way or the other. Um, so Paul is, I believe, saying be thoughtful. We don't know whether Paul is talking about um, pagan holidays or not there. We just, we just don't know. Uh, lots of people have written about that, and, and we, we can make assumptions. Um, Christ, uh, it, Christ fulfills everything. He fulfills all, all, all the law, but it, he doesn't abrogate <laughs> that. And so to me, in order to know the character of Christ, in order to know the character of God, we enter into the Sabbath rest. Uh, my understanding of heaven is that it's going to look a whole lot more like a Sunday than it's going to look like a Monday. And that has been uh, m many scholars writing on that half of an hour of silence is it's the ushering in of the eternal Sabbath. There we're, that God has provided another way for us to enter into rest, kadosh, holiness. So for me, it isn't that uh, you're not able to make it to heaven if you don't keep the Sabbath, but that to know more about the character of God, one practices Sabbath along with God. And, uh, it, it's, uh, and, and then it's a blessing. And, and I just have to tell you, from keeping the Sabbath for uh, 12 years, it is my favorite thing in the world. And I have to tell you, and people really kept the Sabbath right about this, around what time in the afternoon do we get depressed? <laughs> when, around dinner time. Dinner time on Sunday, I'm, or whatever day we observe it, I'm starting to get depressed because I know I gotta leave heaven. Uh, and that's not fun, but it's always out there in front of me. Uh, and I know when I'm gonna walk back in. Um, uh, and so it's, it's um, and you know, as Paul says, we're, we're we are freed from the law, um, and I can do anything, but not everything is good or uh, for us, and we know that Sabbath is good for us, and I think that one of my goals is to have people prove it, per se, to do the work around uh, health studies, uh, flourishing of pastors. You know, your average pastor is going to be in business how long? Five years. Uh, something like that. If you can prove that the average one that keeps Sabbath is in business for 10, people will take notice. They'll, they'll pay attention. <coughs> Good. Other questions? Another issue I'm sure you hear all the time, you, you keep referring to Sabbath, which is the seventh day, not the same thing as the first day. And so is it one in seven that you're advocating or keeping a Sabbath? Because again, another question, can we, can we justly transfer the command, which is regarding the seventh day, can we justly transfer that to the first day? 
Well, um, that's a great question. It comes up less often than I thought that it would. I've even been to Andrews in Michigan <laughs> and done a whole school, you know, talk on this. And uh, for those of you who don't know, that's a Seventh-day Seventh Adventist uh, institution. And to them, of course, it means what they believe to be the seventh day yeah. of the week. Um, uh, Benji, when you do that, uh, when you talk about time um, and the Sabbath, uh, there is a real question as to whether or not uh, the days have marched out throughout time. We've changed calendars. Uh, those of you who, who know about uh, shifting uh, fasting days um, in the more liberal traditions of Judaism 2,000 years ago, so people didn't have to fast a couple days in a row, know, know that they played with the calendar, but it's unclear um, whether or not um, the day marches, marches uh, through. Uh, it was transferred by the early church. Uh, the Lord's Day shows up explicitly in Revelation 1.10. Uh, there are four other um, uh, pieces of scripture that people cite uh, that shows that there is a congregation of the saints on Sunday, uh, the, the first day of uh, the week, um, and, uh, and, and so that, it isn't me. Yeah, right. uh, most, mostly the church said we were gonna transfer the intent of this to another day. Um, uh, we have had people in space for uh, 15 continuous years. So in a way, humans have done their diaspora. <laughs> um, and uh, we can perhaps uh, think that we'll live on Mars someday, um, it, which is gonna have a very different day. Yeah. Uh, and I think we'll have to deal with that the same as the Jews dealt with the diaspora and not having a temple and the fact that they read and said, oh, there is a way to deal with sin uh, without uh, the sin offering. Um, but uh, uh, to me, Christ is about the intent. Mm -hmm. And the intent is to heal us. Yeah. Um, rather than the calendar. And the other thing that relates to that is, again, for pastors, for, for whom Sunday is the day of work, in terms of then taking another day, and, and so you've been doing studies with pastors, I'm sure they don't take Sunday as their Sabbath. And so uh, the idea of one day in seven, as opposed to a strict Sabbatarian uh, reading of the, the, the commandment, would seem to be what you're looking at. Is that accurate? It, it, it is. Um, I believe that the modern um, pastor's uh, job is a lot harder. Yeah. Uh, you know, their inheritance was the Lord. <laughs> and uh, when I talk to pastors who are an uh, older, you know, a generation or so back, the amount of honor shown to them, they didn't have to make meals on that day. They, you know, it was chicken every Sunday. There was literally a book um, it titled that. Uh, and the average pastor is not going to get invited to dinner, uh, nor is his uh, family. Uh, so it's, it's a challenge, um, and there isn't an easy answer to this. Uh, we have everything from pastors who say, Sunday is my Sabbath. I, there's nothing I love more than getting in the pulpit. Mm -hmm. There's um, one of our board members, Ellsworth Callis, 92, um, he had to cancel his fall classes in seminary. He's, he's ill now for the first time, but it shows you what his career is, is, is like. Um, said, that, that was, my, that was my, always my Sabbath, was the day that the Lord honored me by letting me preach. Um, and yet, we know some people have, you know, don't have that uh, same attitude. Uh, what we don't prescribe, we ask people to uh, check in with their accountability groups, check in with scripture, check in with the Lord, see where the Lord leads you on this. I don't think there's a one size fits all on this. The, if you're in ethics, it's getting really interesting. <laughs> it's getting more and more complicated, but what a great time to be in the field <laughs> of this uh, now. So I'm, you know, I don't have an easy answer for this. Uh, Other questions? No? Well, 
I don't want to elaborate too much, but have you done any studies on the eighth day, the eighth day being the new day, um, the new creation represented by resurrection and, of course, foreshadowing the, the new heaven and the new earth, and how would the eighth day relate to the Sabbath? Well, it, it is my understanding that the transference um, uh, to Sunday is the eighth, is the eighth day, that the modern church, which we are part of, recognizes this is this is the beginning of of the, the new creation the, the new heavens and the earth um, I'm not a scholar on that but that's that's my understanding there's less written about this in modern times that y than you can uh, think there's a great book that I can't wait to read probably around Christmas time uh, which is 350 years old which is the definitive book about Sabbath practices in the United States written by a Puritan yeah. and uh, practical guide to Sabbath practices and I, I can't wait to get to it but there's less it was just a given you know it was a given in church that you don't swear <laughs> it was a given it's like a given in the um, emergency or in the OR that you don't spit on the OR floor you cannot find that written anywhere don't spit on the OR floor is not written anything anywhere. Um, sometimes uh, when, when things are just part of the fabric of life, uh, anybody here who's an Egyptian historian uh, knows that the e Egyptians wrote down everything. They were the, the, the most crazy bureaucrats that have ever lived. And yet there isn't one single writing of how to embalm a body. Because they did it all the time. It doesn't mean it wasn't important. It's of absolute importance to the Egyptians to embalm a body. And it's kind of the same with Sabbath. Uh, if you look um, in hymnals, and you go to the back to kind of the concordance in a lot of hymnals, and they'll have like Easter or forgiveness or something like that. There's none th nothing under Sabbath or Sunday. Because that's what the whole book is. That's what we, um, so that not exactly the answer you're looking for, but some thoughts on it. Yes, my wife has a question. Whoa, listen up guys. This is what got me ahead in the world, paying attention to these questions. Are you sure you wanna do that? <laughs> no, to me, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> um, Matthew, is there some place that they can find all 30 of these ways? Maybe at seedbed.org? <laughs> You want to share about that? Yes. Uh, seedbed.org is uh, a publishing place down in Nashville. And uh, they have the 30 of these on there. Or you can go from our sabbathliving.org to that. And take one of these films. You don't have to leave anything. Just take it. Uh, I really, by the way, just appreciate the spirit of this place and being asked to come and talk and be able to ask you questions. I know that's not fair, um, but uh, you know we're all in this together, and uh, we have a real problem uh, right now. I was struck. I was here in North Carolina with Nancy, and we had been asked to come to the inauguration of Virgil Lattimore, who's the president, uh, new president Hood. Uh, which is an AME Zion uh, seminary. So it was an honor to be there. And the man who's the head of the American Theologic Society, uh, and I'm sorry I don't remember his name, gave a talk. And I thought, oh boy, is this, uh, what's this? And he said, he, he started out by saying, there's never, ever been a better time to be in seminary. You can have all of the Dead Sea Scrolls in front of you. You can pop anything that Augustine, you know, wrote just like that. You can, I found every one of Spurgeon's, you know, sermons uh, uh, from the temple o online. You know, you could, nobody's ever had this much access to information. There's never been a, a set of scholars more trained, um, more rigorous in their, in their academics than right now. The problem is nobody has any time Time is the enemy now uh, to, to, the, to the Lord, to us having access to the Lord. And uh, I think it is whether you get it or not is the biggest challenge to the, this institution and the church. 
and uh, that one of the greatest things that you could teach your students is how to manage time God's way. So I'll leave you with that thought. Can I ask a, a follow-up question? Sure. Something that you had said is, is, uh, is very interesting, and it, it struck me. And so um, when I think about the Sabbath, I usually think about uh, the day. You'd mentioned it as kind of the, the doorway that opened you up to the other uh, table of law, the, the social laws, generally speaking, five through ten. Mm-hmm. And so uh, one of the ways that I've been thinking about Sabbath myself has been Sabbath is a, um, it's a threshold law that enables you the space to re-engage in the world the rest of the week. So it gives you the space and the time to worship in a very intentional way, but then to re-engage in the world. And so that's kind of how I've been thinking about the Sabbath. So it's not an escape from a rea- from reality or, or from the world, but a, re- a, a way to re-engage productively. Do you I, see it that way? or, or I, how, how? Unfortunately, I don't have my phone with me, but I think of it, I, I can't help but think of that green you know, battery thing on my phone. Right. It just goes down and down like this. And, you know, when you go out and you've got uh, the thin red line... <laughs> You know, you've got one call to make or whatever. Um, uh, you, you know, I've even thrown it over to the, uh, you know, the airline bar, you know, so I don't get anything. That's me if I haven't recharged and the power source is God. And uh, when that, you've got that full, you know, hey, you have a longer conversation, you're more engaged with the world, um, uh, you, you've got all the time in the world, and uh, so uh, that's how. I, uh, that's a bad analogy, I'm yeah, sure. But uh, so, and can I just have? Yeah, it isn't an escape, right. It, it right? it is. It is a filling of the well. Okay. Okay. So then, in new heavens, new earth. See, I see that the the Sabbath. The way I see that is the Sabbath and the rest of the days of the week collapse into one, so that work becomes rest. In a strange way. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that um, uh, there's a lot of push by a number of groups to have seminaries talk about work. I won't go any further. There is so little theology around that. It ain't funny. Our theology is around rest. <laughs> That's our strong suit. But having said that, I mean, I love the work that I do for the Lord. Um, I, I never want it to end. Uh, and um, and I love the work that I did in healing as a doctor. I love the work I do uh, when I'm a carpenter and everything. Um, a lot of it's the the attitude. I've I've thought about this a lot. There's parts of your body, you know. If I were to ask you to go like this, just keep going like that, okay? After about ten minutes, it would get to be really obnoxious. This is called a voluntary muscle that makes this go. My heart is doing that. And I don't think about it. And I think it's involuntary. It's called the involuntary muscles. And I have a feeling that that's what work becomes like. Mm. Without thinking. Mm. Just, just a joyous kind of, I think my heart is the happiest thing. Just beating away, it's doing what it was made uh, to do. Uh, and I kind of think that's what it was for Adam and Eve before the fall. They didn't have to think. It was like the heart going. It was just a part of them. So, Sorry, that's good. a doctor thing. There. No, it's very good, and it's very helpful. Any other final uh, questions? Yes, Andrew. Um, just curious. This is kind of a specific question, but I'm doing some research in the area of uh, biblical theology of contentment. Um, and in the New Testament, Paul talks about the Greek is autarkeia, which is originally a Stoic concept, which has the idea of self-sufficiency. Um, but a lot of scholars, uh, Gordon Fee in particular, has said this is more God's sufficiency, as Paul is using. Um, as you think about that general idea, I, th- I think there could be some real parallels to keeping the Sabbath as sort of a practical way of pursuing contentment and any other connections that you see there. There is. Uh, I was, I was going to uh, – there's no sense in even flipping open to Philippians here and, and talking to Paul for, uh, about that. Um, this is a practice that uh, we have gotten involved in. Uh, any of you know ER doctors or n- nurses? 
they got some stories to tell, don't they? And they can be uh, pretty cynical people. <laughs> In the ER, you've seen it all. And there's a kind of cynicism that takes hold of you that's a survival um, uh, technique, really. And so I have to say that there's a part of me that was really cynical. Now, go out and work with the church day in and day out. Similar. <laughs> Similar. <laughs> and, um, and so my natural tendency is to, as a, a defense mechanism, to become kind of cynical about things. Um, God's uh, way of working on me was for me to start looking for a miracle every day. And uh, to start keeping track of it. And pop a picture of it with my phone. Uh, have you ever wondered how it was that people saw Jesus do the things that he did? And they, they went back to try out the new lawnmower? Or, you know, those, those kinds of things that he said. By the way, that teaching is, is done at Sabbath. And the invitation to the feast is also the Sabbath um, that he's talking about. And so all those things, you know, separated... And, um, and so I really ask for God to give me the eyes to see miracles. And they just happen now. And Nancy is involved in the same thing. And it begins to uh, soften your heart and to realize that you're just in this world of miracles. And whatever comes down the road is gonna be, is gonna be uh, great. Short story and last one. <coughs> an example. Uh, this is the answer to a prayer and a miracle. I'm uh, in Atlanta, I've been working all day, and I go to the airport, and uh, my credit card isn't working in the kiosk. You've had that happen, right? So there's a long line to see the human being to try to get a ticket. So I, I go and I step in the line, and this guy steps right in front of me. You know, with his frou-frou hair and his cell phone he's talking on, and just oblivious to me and everybody else. and. If I'd had a two-by-four, I would have hit him upside the head. And so I said, oh, God, help me think something decent about this guy because I want to hit him in the head with a two-by-four. Help me out here. And so I'm sitting there, and, and like no good thought is coming into my mind. And this, this little guy says, sir, have you tried the machine over here? And I'm like, N I've already tried it. It doesn't work. He says, let me try it for you. So this guy goes and he, he puts it in and it, and it works for him. And he says, now you're going to Lexington. You know, that flight's like an hour and a half from now. There's another one that we could maybe get you on in a couple of minutes. You game? Yeah, yeah I haven't checked the bag. I, he says, so he gets me and he says, and something like, well, let, let's put you in first class. And <laughs> how he's doing this over at the kiosk, I don't know. And then, and then so off I go. He said, hurry, you know, you know and I, I turn around and I look. Did you ever see the movie Old God? Yeah. It's the guy. <laughs> and, and he's like, like this, you know? Coincidence or a miracle? <laughs> I view it as a miracle. You start looking for those things and again and again and again. Nancy and I were like driving, um, we were driving out of this town in Western North Carolina. We're going home and I said, Nancy, the provisioning of God is just so magnificent and everything. It's just incredible what God does. We come up on the toll booth and Nancy's scrambling to get money and the lady said, ah, the person in front of you paid it for you. Yeah. Go on through. <laughs> the more you look for those kind of things, you, they were probably happening around me all the time. I was just too busy oh. to, to see. That's incredible contentment if you just think the Lord's in front of you, behind you, above you, everywhere. So. Can, as, we, as we close, can you give us some uh, folks, obviously your own work is, uh, we, can, we can learn more about the kinds of things that you're speaking about. But I'm also reminded of some of uh, Peterson's work, but Marva Dawn maybe, and some folks like that. Who are some other folks that we could uh, learn well, I, from? I think starting with Heschel's uh, work is, is, the, is, the, is the solid place uh, uh, to, uh, Rabbi Abraham Heschel, uh, Sabbath. I think, isn't that yeah. just the title of Sabbath? Um, is it Lenny Lucchetti has one out? Lucchetti? Yeah, he's a Wesleyan pastor that has apparently done a really good book um, on that. Uh, Mark Buchanan, the rest, the rest of God. Of God. The rest of God, yeah. Wayne Mueller. Okay. Um, 
Yeah. There's another one, uh, uh, the, the Sabbath world, maybe? I think I have my, uh, I think there's, that would be useful. There's lots of these coming out, which I think is the Holy Spirit at work. Um, uh, and uh, which reminds me, I wanted to close with one Bible verse, which I thought would be, you know, I, I opened with an appropriate joke, right? And uh, uh, wrong direction, Matthew. I always wanted those, one of those thumb marked Bibles. Um, Anybody have another one here while he stalls them? And, uh, okay. D.A. Carson has a book from Sabbath to Lord's Day. Okay. A transition from there is um, a, uh, there's two books I'd, I'd recommend that are more scholarly. Uh, one, one is The History of Sundays, and that is by a professor out at Brigham Young, uh, who's Mormon, but it's a great work on the history of Sunday, and there's some fabulous stuff on what the Protestant Sunday started looking like uh, after the Ref Reformation, including some journal, extended journal excerpts of um, that and then there's uh oh how do you pronounce his name the italian guy Bushati, that um from from sabbath to sunday now there's four or five books by the name from sabbath to sunday you got to make sure you get this guy it's uh it is a popularization of a phd uh thesis that was done at the vatican so this is a seventh day at venice invited to the vatican to study sabbath and it's really spectacular, um, but it's not a popular uh, book, but it's, it's meaty and worth, worth going through, and there's lots of tracing the history of how things got to be where they are. So I'll, I'll leave you with one line, uh, which is the closing of Ecclesiastes, which is good for us in this room, and yes, I'm taking this to heart too. The words of the wise are like goads, and like a nail firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books there is no end, and of much study is weariness of the flesh.